0: Welcome to an inspirational teaching by our guest speaker of Adonai Church, Bangalore. We hope you enjoy this teaching. This morning, you know, I just want to share on this uh, topic of, a very strange topic, a topic of, am I a Pharisee? It's a question for all of us to ask ourselves. Some of my colleagues and my friends underwent training, driving license training in Germany. In Germany, when you undergo a driving license for about 10 hours of training, you'll always have this trainer repeat one thing to you constantly. He'll keep on repeating this thing. He'll say right side rear view, middle rear view, left side rear view, and then turn back, okay? Now, we know in India, we use the rear view for what? We use it to comb our hair not to look if the vehicles are coming. But there they would constantly say, look at this mirror, that mirror, and then look back. I used to always wonder, the mirrors are okay, but why the looking back? An explanation was given that even though you look in the mirrors, there is a blind spot right in the middle of the car, which you cannot see if there's a vehicle beside you. There's that blind spot which we cannot see. So this morning, as I share this word, I want you to look internal to you. Look back a little. Look at yourself. Introspect a little. And check, is there a blind spot in me that I need to work on? Is there an area in my life that I need to be transformed? Is there a change that I need to bring about in my own personal life? You know, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 7, verse 23. He said, It is easier to see the speck in others' eyes while we miss seeing a log in our own. It's very easy to see the fault in others and to find fault in others. But how easy is it to look at? It takes conscious effort. You know, Sunday after Sunday when we come, we hear the word of God. We cannot just say this applies to somebody else. Or maybe this applies to younger believers. Maybe this applies to my neighbor, applies to the person sitting beside me. We need to look inward. We need to look inside of ourselves to see, is there something the Lord is speaking to me? Am I a Pharisee? As I share this message, I want to just uh, give a word of caution. It's not a message of judgmentalism. It's not to tell, here I am as a preacher trying to preach out to you to say you got to change. As I began, this title came into my mind about three months back. And I began to study the Gospels, particularly the book of Matthew. And the more I studied the book of Matthew and more I looked at the life of Pharisees and the references that Jesus had to the Pharisees, the more I realized how much of Phariseism has crept into me, has crept into the church, and is so real today that we stand out of the same things, doing the same things that the Pharisees did then, we do the same. And I wonder if the Lord has to come again and live amidst us for three and a half years again, what He would look at us and tell would he tell again you guys i preached about pharisees 2000 years back but you've gone back to your old ways of becoming born again pharisees pentecostal spirit-filled pharisees we've just begun to adapt the practices of pharisees so it's not just to judge judge the people in the pew but it's also something that the lord spoke to me that i am sharing with you And also, I want to see on how did Jesus respond to these Pharisees. We will look at the characteristics of Pharisees as I studied. I'll tell you there are more than 25-30 characteristics that I picked up and I began to meditate on each one of them. But then I picked only nine of them to share today and God willing... You need to evaluate and see what changed, which is the area that God is speaking to you. Maybe out of the nine, it may be one, it may be two. I do not know what it is. But let the Lord surprise you, showing you those blind areas. No, when Jesus' time, there were multiple Jewish sects that were there. Multiple Jewish groups that were there. But out of all these groups, there were two groups that Jesus addressed very constantly. One was the Pharisees, which was the biggest group. Second was the Sadducees. And the third was the Herodians, and there were the Zealots, and there were the Essenes. Okay? These were different types of or different groups of Jewish people that were there. But let's look at what is the trait of Pharisees. I realize that's too small for you to read. What about Pharisees? Pharisees were a very strict group of religious Jews who advocated minute obedience. In small things, they would say, you got to obey God in this, obey God in that. They made religion. They made relationship with God as a set of rules to be obeyed. And they were very good at obeying that to an extent that Jesus looked at them and said, you have to do what the Pharisees do, but you have to do more than that. They were very influential in the synagogues. They had a very good comp- position in the synagogues. They were part of the Jewish council. What about the Sadducees? Sadducees were a people who were religious, but not so religious. They, they would come to the synagogues, but they were more involved in politics and in business. They were the wealthy Jews. For them, religion meant God's blessing for us to expand my business. And it meant that having the right connections in the political field so that my business does not get impacted. These were the Sadducees. Sadducees, did not believe in the whole Bible as inspired by the Word of God. They only believed in the Pentateuch, that is Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. Only five books is the Bible, and the rest of it, they said, is not for us. They profited from business in the temple. If you realize Jesus drawed the people in the temple, they profited a lot from the temple business. They were politically inclined, did not believe in the resurrection. This was constantly the argument between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Pharisees emphasized on resurrection. Sadducees did not believe in resurrection. They were very strict following all the laws. But I want us to look saying, I'm going to look only at the Pharisees. And maybe sometimes the Sadducees will come in as an example. But mainly we will focus on the Pharisees. So let's look at the first trait. Are you ready? You know, it's not very easy to look at our own blind spots okay and somebody else needs to Sometimes you may have to ask your wife or your husband is this a blind spot in me be ready they speak the truth more powerfully than the holy spirit sometimes let's look at matthew chapter 3 verse 7 to 9 this is the first time we find john the baptist addressing the pharisees but when he saw many of the pharisees but when he saw many of the pharisees and sadducees coming to him that is when john saw Many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing. He said to them, you brood of vipers, who want you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. You know... People come to get baptized to John the Baptist. And what is John the Baptist addressing in them as? He's not saying Mr. So-and-so. He's not saying ladies and gentlemen. He's not saying brothers and sisters in the Lord. He is not saying. He is saying you brood of vipers. Aren't you glad John the Baptist is not preaching this morning? If he was preaching, I wonder what he would say. But there are two things from this that I want to pick about the Pharisees. First is the repentance was a ritual. Ritual and not repentant. They came to be baptized. These Jews were so used to the religious practices. They did everything as a ritual. So for them, even getting baptized became a ritual. They just came to be baptized and what John is trying to tell them is, hey, listen, if you have repented, there has to be a fruit of repentance. There has to be a change in your life. There has to be a change in the practices of your life. There has to be a change in the character that you bring into it. This is not just another religious activity of going Sunday after Sunday to church or getting baptized at the age of 14 or 15. This is not a ritual. This is supposed to be a sign of your repentance that goes on deep within your heart. Now, when we apply this to our Christian life, we realize that very often, many of the things that we do, we do it as a ritual. We do it as if we got to go through the motions because we are Christians, because we are born again. We got to read the word. We got to do this or we got to do that. You know, a story is told about this man who was sitting in front of his house. His house was on the highway. As he noticed, there was a set of people that came with a lot of equipment and they dug holes. After they dug holes, they moved on. Every every five feet, they were digging holes. And after some time, another set of people came and they closed the hole with all the mud and the sand. And they moved on. And this guy was wondering, hey, what's happening? So he called one of them and asked them, what is happening? Why is somebody digging and somebody else closing? You know what the reply was? They said, actually, we are planting trees. The team that's supposed to dig is here. The team that's supposed to close is here. But the team that's supposed to plant the trees is on leave today. So they were going through the motions of doing what they need to do, but they forgot the purpose for which the whole thing was set up in the first place. So as Christians, we got to ask ourselves this question very often. Why do I do what I do? Is it just a ritual? Is it just a Christian activity that I am doing? Is there an essence behind that? Is there a change in my character? Is there a transformation that God is expecting deep within me? The second thing, if you read the same verses, we find that he's addressing them as saying, Pharisees were very proud of being descendants of Abraham. They're very proud of being descendants. They've always felt ahead head above the rest because they were descendants of Abraham. They even felt greater than Jesus. In John chapter 8, they proudly said, what do you mean? We are descendants of Abraham. Jesus had to turn them and say, you are actually sons of the devil. You are liars. That's how Jesus addressed them. You know, they were so proud of their legacy. I call this characteristics as perched in the past. We get so perched in our past legacy. Very often when you listen to Christians, when you listen to their conversations and when you observe, you'll find the older folks saying, those good old days. Have you heard them say that? Those good old days, things were different. Or when you hear testimonies, they will talk about, you know, when I came to know the Lord 40 years back, that 40 years back testimony is stinking. You leave that behind. That was the past. But what is your experience today? What is your experience of God in this moment, the here and now? You know, some of the testimonies I've heard, I don't know if you heard this, if you go to Kerala and Tamil Nadu, all believers' origin is in a Brahmin background. I do not know why. Because they're still proud of the legacy they come from. And they're still talking about, I've heard testimonies of people who said, my great-grandfather was a Brahmin, and he came to know the Lord. Your great-grandfather would have been whatever he was, but what about you? You know, there is a tendency for all of us to live either in the past glory or the past guilt. The mistake that we made long back, we hold on to that. You heard people talk about, I was a drug addict, I was a murderer, I was an adulterer, I was addicted to pornography. Praise God, he has delivered you. Why not we speak about the grace of God, the mercy of God, the compassion of God? Is the testimony centered around your addiction or is the testimony centered around the power of God to deliver you from your addiction? We've got to change the way we look at our past. We've got to give up our past and we've got to come to the present and say, what is the Lord wanting me to do today? And what is the Lord preparing me today for the tomorrow that He has in store for me? And we've got to move on. You know, in fact, in Isaiah Chapter 43, verse 18 to 19, addressing the same Jews. Isaiah says this, or God says this to the people. He says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. Verse 19, see, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth, and you do not perceive it. I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Forget the past. I'm not saying we should not remember what the Lord has done. We've got to remember and we've got to be grateful to God for all what He has done. Every month I take time to think of the whole month past month, and thank God for everything. Every evening, I take time to thank God for all that went on through the day. I, every weekend, I think of all that went in the week, and I thank God. This is periodically happening. we got to remember, but we should not let it become our glory, our former things, our past things. No matter what your past is, it doesn't matter whether it was glorious, whether it was not glorious. Whether it was shameful or whether it was not shameful. It doesn't matter who your father was. It doesn't matter which caste your grandfather belonged to. What matters is this. What is the Lord doing in your life now? We need a fresh testimony on a daily basis. What is your experience today? 15 years back, came to know the Lord. Praise God. But what after that? We got to move on. John is not easy to deal with. You know, he was so blunt. He went to Herod and told, man, you're an adulterer. You married your brother's wife. He had to lose his neck as a result of that. But then he didn't give up. He was so blunt in preaching the word of God. Let's go on to Matthew chapter 9, Matthew chapter 3, and then I'm going to stick to Matthew alone because uh, there's so much that I learned from Matthew. I said there's no time to look at Luke and Mark and John and the other gospels. But we will just look at, Matthew chapter 9 and verse 10 to 11. You know, this is an attitude or a characteristic that the Pharisees had too good to mingle. Too good to mingle. Matthew chapter 9, verse 10 to 11. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need the doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I have come not to call the righteous, but the sinners. You know, they kept themselves away. This was one of the biggest traits. Pharisees divided the world into two. We the Pharisees and the rest. They called them Gentiles, they called them Romans, they called them Greeks, they called them everything else. Including, they even separated the Sadducees and the Herodians. We the Pharisees who are the most righteous Jews and the rest of the world. You know, they divided themselves so much, they wouldn't even mingle with them in the society. They wouldn't go to a party where there's a tax collector. They wouldn't go for a marriage function where there are sinners who are there. Now, I know as young believers, I'm not telling you you've got to start mingling and go to bars, go to parties, etc. You've got to have the strength to grow. Okay, as children, for our children, when we enable them to have friends, we got to choose the right friends, believer friends for them. I'm not denying that, but on the other hand, we as mature Christians, we who've grown in the Lord, we whose security is in the Lord, if we continue to mingle only with the believers. Monday to Friday to Saturday to Sunday, we just have Bible study after Bible study after Bible study, prayer meeting after prayer meeting after prayer meeting. We have no time to mingle with anybody else. Forget the time. Some of us don't have the attitude to mingle with somebody else. We say, oh, those, those unbelievers, those unbelievers, no, 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 I think we should keep away from, them. you know, they call me, but you know, they're from other religions, so I don't want to go for their marriage. You know, they called me in the office party. You know, they drink there. So I didn't want to go there. I did not go there. Holier than thou attitude that the Pharisees had. Is this there in the church? Yes or no? You guys are looking as if John the Baptist is preaching to you. Too serious. Don't worry. You're not brood of vipers. You're a group of believers. (laughs) Transform believers. This message is not for you. It's for someone else. If you're saying amen, you're a Pharisee. (laughs) Holier than thou attitude. You know... Uh, Fulton J. Sheen, who is a Catholic theologian, he said this. He said, Jesus came to put a harlot above a Pharisee, a penitent robber above a high priest, a prodigal son above his exemplary brother. To all the phonies and the fakers who would say that they could not join the church because this church was not holy enough, he would ask, how holy must the church be before you can enter it? You know, we need to ask ourselves this question. How's my relationship? If you studied, I was amazed when I studied the book of Matthew. Most of his time he spent with the sinners. And very less time with the Pharisees and with the the Jews and the synagogue, etc. Most of his time. Because unless we mingle with people, unless we connect with people, how will we bring the gospel The church doesn't grow very often because sometimes when John announces and says, you know, living free, we are not able to think of one unbeliever name. Why? Because we don't relate with them. We are so entangled with our believer crowd. Make a conscious effort to say, I will have at least five unbelieving friends with whom I will relate. Just relate. There will come a point when the Lord may lead you to share the gospel. Do that then. Don't go just thumping down the gospel at the first meeting that you have with them. Begin a relationship and begin to relate with them knowing fully well that you and me were once unbelievers. You and me were once sinners. You and me were once there out in the world. Somebody took the pain to share the gospel with us. Somebody took the pain to relate with us because of that we are here today. So now you and me ought to take that pain to go share the gospel with somebody else. Amen. Let's move on to Matthew chapter 12, verse 1 to 2, and verse 9 to, verse 9 to 12. Verse 1 to 2. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath. Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue. And a man with a shriveled hand was there, looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus. They asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take and hold of it and lift it out? Verse 12, how much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. You know, the length to which the Pharisees went to find fault with Jesus sometimes is funny. Can you imagine these Pharisees are hiding in those paddy fields and they're waiting for Jesus' disciples to do something. The moment they pick something, they hey, look, 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 look. Your disciples are doing this. Hey, look at the words they're using. Look at the actions they're doing. Hey, look, are you healing on a Sabbath day? How can you do that? They were constantly keeping their eyes. In fact, the Bible uses the synonym of they were watching him. They were watching Him. They kept watching Jesus, not to learn from Him, but to find fault in Him so that they could crucify Him. And this came from the point of jealousy. But what we see is they are fault finders. Pharisees' characteristic of being fault finders. Number one, we said ritual, not repentance. Number two, we said perched in past legacy. Number three, we said too good to mingle. Number four is fault finders. You know, when it comes to Christians, are we fault finders? We become also fault finders often, isn't it? You listen to this preacher, one wrong word he uses. My God, you make a theology out of it. Wonderful worship time, one wrong beat, the drummer goes on, you're focusing on the wrong beat and saying, you know, we should change the drummer. We should pray for the drummer, brother. One preacher you're watching on the television who does something, we say, you know, that denomination, you know, it's not really... You know, we are Pentecostals. You know, they are nominal people. You know, we begin to find fault in anything and everything that the others are doing around us. Look at it. What about finding fault with those who come into the church? Did you see the way she was dressing? Did you see his hairstyle? Oh my God, look at his shoes. So expensive it must be. If he had given it to the poor, how good it would have been? You know, pastor was going to Dehradun. He could have given the money as contribution for the healing school very spiritually fault-finding, prayerfully fault-finding. Ask yourself a question. How often have you found fault in others? How often have you found fault in yourself? Have you, do you take time to have that me time and then say, God, is there something that I got to change in me even before I can look at someone else? Next time you feel like finding a fault in another person, For every fault that you find, if you don't have three faults in your own life, don't say it. Is that easy? It's easy to find fault in yourself. You can't find it in yourself, so ask someone else. They'll tell you more than three. They'll tell you more than three. Becoming fault finders. You know, a young couple moved into this neighborhood, and uh, the next morning while they were eating their breakfast, this wife noticed that uh, some lady was washing her clothes and putting it on the clothesline. And she began to come to her husband and say, you know what? Look at that lady, how dirty those clothes are. She seems to have washed it and she's drying and still it is so dirty. And the husband just kept quiet. You know husbands are on mute mode most time. Okay, he just kept quiet. And then after a few days, again, saw the lady washing. She commented, third time, fourth time, the husband kept quiet. One day morning, she came and she found the clothes clean. And she said, hey, look, look, look. This lady has now finally learned how to wash her clothes. I wonder if she changed the detergent or if her mother-in-law taught her how to clean the clothes. The husband said, I got up earlier than you, and I cleaned the glass. All this while, the fault was not with someone else. The fault was within us. The way we look. Recently, I got a WhatsApp message in which it said, if you squeeze an orange, what comes out? What comes out? Orange juice comes out, right? Does an apple juice come out? Does coffee or tea come out? It doesn't. Orange juice comes out. When you are looking at others and you are trying to find fault with them, what does that show about you? It shows about what's inside of us that's coming out. If inside of us we are clear, we will not find fault, but rather we will find points to appreciate them. You know, I wrote down in my notes saying, we should start moving from being certified fault finders to becoming certified appreciators. Turn to somebody and why don't you say one good thing about them? Very difficult or what? Turn to some- I said, turn to somebody, don't look at me. At this point, I just want to want to draw attention. You know, Luke chapter 18, verse 11, Jesus talks about this parable of the Pharisee and the penitent sinner who went to the thing and the Pharisee was praying, Lord, I thank God I'm not like that person. I fast so many days. I do this, I do that, etc. We should be cautious not to blame the Pharisees for everything here. Otherwise, we become like Pharisees saying, I thank God I'm not the Pharisee. We shouldn't become like that. Let's move on. Matthew chapter 15, verse 1 to 2. Matthew chapter 15, verse 1 to 2. Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? And here at verse 3, Jesus says, Why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? You know, the fifth point that I want to share is traditions of men above the Word of God. Traditions of men above the Word of God. These Pharisees, they had a tradition for everything. They had a list of things of do's and don'ts. And they had to very meticulously follow it. For anything that there was no clarity, they will go and ask the rabbi, Rabbi, on a Sabbath, can I write? And the rabbi will say, you can write before 6 o'clock in the morning, and after that you're not supposed to write. They will write it down in their tradition book and teach everybody before 6 o'clock only you can write, after that you cannot write. They had a book full of traditions. And what they were doing is following the traditions very sincerely, very meticulously, thinking that they are pleasing God. That was their definition of spirituality. That is what they thought is being more spiritual. Doing and doing and doing is what they define their spirituality as. But what Jesus is responding to them and telling them is, in keeping your traditions, you've forgotten the the commandments of God. You've forgotten the law of God. You know, we follow the tradition so much that we forget the main essence of what God is trying to do in our lives. You say we don't have traditions. We do have for tradition by the Jews. For everything they had a tradition. How to eat, how to sleep, how to wake up, how to wear the dress, etc. But if you notice that he says we have a prayer shawl what we wear, etc. Everything for the Pharisees had become such a tradition that they would just do it because it is a tradition. Did you know the origin of tradition? What does Reptavia say? I'll tell you where it all started. I don't know. (laughs) Ask yourself a question. Where does the tradition that you follow start? Very often we do not know. We just follow it. What about our prayer time? Very often that can become a tradition time. Morning, wake up, I'm a believer, I need to pray morning wake up i'm a believer i need to read the bible so i do it as a tradition but is the lord ministering to you is the lord speaking to you through those time maybe or may not be but i still do it because it's a tradition what about coming to sunday morning church what thoughts run through your mind as you're driving to church are you excited about coming to hear the word or you're saying let's go for the first service we'll finish it fast and get back home tradition tradition Sunday coming can also become a tradition. We blame the Pharisees, but ask yourself a question. You've been to weddings in India, Christian weddings, Pentecostal weddings, born-again believers' weddings. How many traditions don't we follow? I'm not saying traditions are bad. But we got to question those traditions. Why is it happening? If tradition takes goes above the law of God, if tradition goes above the love that God has poured in our heart, if tradition goes beyond the love that He expects us to share from with each other, it's not, it's not required then. What we need to do is put the Lord's Word first. We need to begin to live in our love first. Time, we need, time and again we need to ask ourselves that the greatest thing that God came to show us was His love. The greatest commandment that he said is, love the God with all their heart, with all their mind. And the second greatest is, love one another. If this gets robbed off, then we've lost the whole point. We've lost the whole point. Tradition. You know, Sunday mornings also there are some traditions that we follow, and then we come to church and we go back. But ask yourself this question again. Are you doing things as a tradition? Then maybe the characteristic of Pharisees in us. We need to shed it. I'm not saying you should not come on a Sunday morning. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying you should not read the Word of God. Don't get me wrong. But I'm saying when we do those things, we got to question ourselves what is the main purpose? Like Jesus asked the Pharisees, I want to ask you a question that He is saying, What does it mean? I desire mercy, not sacrifice. What He desires is more of a change in our character than our doing. He's not so much interested in our doing. He's more interested in our being. We'll go to the main chapter dedicated to the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23 verse 1 to 3. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they do. What they preach. Okay, they tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulder, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Okay, we find here Jesus is telling this point. I put it as you know, preaching without practice. Preaching without practice. Now you may say, Oh, I'm not a preacher, thank God for that. I'm not talking about pulpit preaching i'm talking about the expectation we have from others we expect oh he's a pastor he needs to do this 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 oh he's a teenager he needs to do this 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 he's a full-time minister he needs to be like this his children can you imagine full-time ministers children look at the way they behave we expect from them but turn and look at how are your children behaving Turn and look at your own life. How are you? Who says it's only the full-time ministers who need to live as per the characteristics of Christ? It's each of us as believers who are expected to live in the characteristics of Christ. So when you expect from others, you've got to look within and ask yourself this question, am I doing what is required? Sometimes as parents, we we burden our children so much. We say, he has to be good in studies, he has to be good in music, he has to be good in sports. Look at him, he's waking up so late. Look at him, look at her, she's not dressing up well. This and that, we burden our children. Did you read the Bible? Did you pray? You are such a nut, you born in a barn or what? You haven't yet got baptized and this and that. We go on about the children. But just look back and see, how were you when you were a teenager? You were no better. It took almost an electric shock to get you out of bed. And it took six dozen reminders to brush your teeth. You were no better. We put so much of burden on others. We expect so much from others. But we got to look within and ask ourselves this question. How am I doing? They're beaming with smile. But even young people, you have expectation of your parents. Please remember, your parents are human beings too. Your parents have similar struggles like you do. It's just that they have more experience, but they are also human beings. So you've got to pray for them as much as they pray for you. We've got to learn to practice what we preach. We've got to learn to practice what we expect from others. You know, very often it becomes a challenge for us to match what we speak What we expect in our minds to what our living is. I call it as, you know, a spiritual malfunction. And we got to ask ourselves constantly this question. How am I doing in the practice of the word? You know, beauty is Jesus is acknowledging the Pharisees here. They sit in Moses' seat. They're in a place of authority. Listen to what they tell you, but don't do what they do. What a sad Imagine if Jesus was here and he has to tell that about us. Do what they preach, but don't do what they do. Because there's a spiritual malfunction there. There's no no connection between what they expect, what they say, and what they do. Okay? So, practicing, preaching without practice is one of the characteristics. Matthew chapter 23, verse 5 to 10. Everything that they do is done for, everything they do is done for people to see. Everything. What is Everything. Everything is done, so they do, is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and tassels on their garments long. They love the places of honor at banquets and most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. Okay, we will look at what these phylacteries are if you go to the picture. You know, these Pharisees had this... Think about wearing a certain type of an attire. You see right on their head there like a leather box. Okay, that was, God had told them to have that in order for them to store the word of God as a reminder to them that they have to live by the word. Those were the phylacteries. But what happened, the Pharisees made it bigger and bigger and bigger. So they thought the bigger the phylactery, the bigger, higher the spirituality. okay. And then the tassels that you see on the shawl that is there, that was supposed to be a reminder that they're supposed to depend on God in prayer and the presence of God is with them. But the Pharisees converted that and made it broad tassels so that people will see and say, this guy is a prayer warrior. This guy is a spiritual guy. They began to even dress to show to the people how spiritual they are. And this is what happened to the Pharisees. They did everything in order to please the people. Their religiosity, their practices, everything was to allow the people to see how spiritual they are. Now imagine, if I have, imagine with me for a while, just imagine yourself being alone in an island, alone. No human beings are around you. All your needs are taken care of. You don't need money, you don't need food, you don't need clothing. All your needs are taken care of. Will you be doing the same things that you're doing now when you're alone? When people are not there? Will you be doing the same kind of prayers? Will you be reading the word the same way that you're doing now? Will you be seeking God the same way you're seeking now when people are looking at you? Or will you say, let me rest in the blessing and the comfort of God? There's nothing wrong in doing that. But much of us as Christians, our religion, our relationship with God also can become in such a way that it becomes for the people's sake. You know, I wonder, social media reveals a lot about people. If you are a person, social media, the corporates use for analytics, government is using to check who's posting what against Modi, okay social media is being used for all kinds of purposes to determine what kind of products are needed in the market to determine what are the kind of features people will like in the product blah blah social media is used but for me i used to check social media to see what are our church people doing what are the kind of postings that are doing if you post something on social media your photograph or whatever and nobody likes it how do you feel Some of us post, you know, one one prayer that they have, they post it. Today had a wonderful time of prayer, thousand likes, and makes them feel good. Isn't that our phylacteries in the modern term? Isn't that our shawl? I saw a poster the other day, 125th all-night prayer. Are we praying to show off to people and to proclaim it, sticking posters on the road to say we are a praying people? You know, People will come and tell you, yesterday when I was praying for three hours, God spoke to me. Is three hours more important or God spoke to you more important? Those are our phylacteries. You know, what we post, what we, what we see on the social media. I see pastors, there. I had one family day. And already they write a book on family, on a blog on family, on the net. And when did you do it next? Oh no brother, I don't have time anymore. You listen to the preachers. When the Bible says they were looking for important positions, you know, there are pastors who get upset in crusades. Leaders who get upset in crusades. You know why? Because they did not get the seat on the stage along with Benny Heen or Reinhard Bonke or Brother Dinakaran. I like this church for one reason, is because the main preacher doesn't sit here. When I came the first time here, Pastor Ivan was preaching, and I was wondering where the preacher is, and he came right from the back. And I said, wow, this is living what Christ is talking about. What does it make a difference if I'm a preacher? It's a God's gifting. But I'm a believer, basically. I'm a sinner saved by grace, basically. Why should I look for those important positions? Think of it. Do you get upset when somebody does not acknowledge you in a crowd? You're being a Pharisee like this. Do you get upset when somebody doesn't appreciate all the good service you're doing in the church? You're being like a Pharisee. To say, why am I not being appreciated? We are trying to show off. We are trying to tell the people this and that. Everything about what we are doing. Everything that they did, they did to please the people. I liked what pastor said last week when he was preaching. He doesn't even like to be called as a pastor. Because that's a role that he is playing. But he is victor. And you see people, I get Facebook invites and messages, prophet so-and-so, evangelist so-and-so, senior founder, reverend pastor so-and-so. Have you ever heard somebody coming and saying, I'm servant so-and-so? We want to be known by our titles. We flash around our business cards to be shown of our title. We want to tell, you know, we are the people who do the right things. Like the Pharisees always reminded themselves, we are right and everybody else is wrong. You know, we, we need to come out of that expectation. I know of, a, I know of a family that came and shared with me saying, hey, listen, my pastor's not conducting my wedding. Why? What happened? Because I forgot to print his name in the wedding card. I was supposed to print saying, so and so is solemnizing my wedding. I said, is he getting married or you're getting married? You know, very often this happens. We forget about God in the whole thing. We, we, we hold on to the things that don't matter. And we forget what is the main thing. And then we get so engrossed in those things that we want to please people. You know, Joyce Meyer once preached and she's also written a book on approval addiction. Approval addiction. We're constantly seeking. You buy a dress, then you ask, hey, how's it? Nice, huh? You know, I bought it from H&M. We want others to tell. And if 10 people say or 3 people say it's not good, gone case. Hey, this dress is not good. You bought it because you liked it. Now you say it's not good because people don't like it. Is that pleasing people or not? We're constantly thinking what will the others think? What will the others think? What will the others think? Do we stop and bother to ask what will God think? What will God think of what I'm going through? Let's move on to Matthew chapter 23 verse 23 to 24. I just want to stop here also and tell you that if we have been people who have been people pleasers, it's time for us to repent. Maybe we should attend an encounter or a school of healing. We need to ask ourselves, repent of that sin and then come out. Because as long as we are trying to please people, we can never keep God in the center of our lives. We've got to keep God. That's why God had to tell. Jesus had to say, you cannot serve two masters. It's either the mammoth or it's God. It's either the people or it's me. You cannot have both. You cannot please both. Men will understand you can't please both your mother and your wife. Often it's one or the other. You cannot have both. People pleasing. If you've been doing it, repent of it and let's ask the Lord to forgive us. Matthew chapter 23, verse 23 to 24. There are seven oaths that Jesus says about the Pharisees. I'm not going into all the seven oaths. Maybe just this one. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you... Wow. You? Come on, tell it loudly. Turn to somebody and say that word. It became louder. Woe <laughs> to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin verse 24, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. That's what he's saying. And he goes on to say, you blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. You know, in the initial years of our marriage, when we would invite a guest, you know, my wife was not such an expert in cooking then. She's good now. But when we were invite guests home, planning would start one week in advance. What cutlery to use, what to cook, Where to make them sit, blah, 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 all this, you know, you know the planning that happened. And when the guests come, we are so engrossed in feeding them, you know, take a little more. And you know, is this okay? Is that okay? Is that too kara? You want a little bit more salt, etc. And after they eat, we sit and talk about how was the food, uh, everything. And then they have no time and they go out and then we ask ourselves a question hey listen in all this cooking and feeding we forgot to talk to them we forgot to have a heart-to-heart talk food became central to the whole invitation that was given where the purpose was relationship and this happens with us for with god also i call this point as penny wise and pound foolish we get so, so bothered about the nitty gritties. We forget the big picture of what God wants us to do. We get so busy doing those little, little things for God. Did I tithe? If, did I tithe to the last pice? Now listen, tithing, God has given it as a practice so that we express saying, God, this money is from you. And as a sign of that, I want to give it back to you so that I know that I depend on you and not on the money. It's a sign. If you tithe one rupee lesser, ten rupees lesser, or a hundred rupees more, it doesn't matter. We forget that, and we get so busy. You know, there's a couple that came, there's a family that moved from one church to another. So I was asking them, what happened? Why did you move? They said, you'll be surprised. They said, you know, in this church, they don't pray before taking the offering. So we thought it's not the right place we moved. What about everything else? What about the souls that are being added into the kingdom? What about the disciples that are being built? What about the love that is being shared? You forgot about all that? And just one prayer that was not done makes you determine whether you stay in the church or not? Am I a Pharisee being pennywise and pound foolish? This happens in parenting. We focus so much on the academics sometimes. We forget to love the children. We focus so much on their performance, we miss out their childhood before you realize they're grown and gone. And what do you remember about your parents? My father was a very strict guy. My mother was a very good cook. That's all. What about the love? What about the relationship? Pennywise, pound foolish. My friends, when God talks to us, He talks to us one thing, that He wants to have a relationship above everything else. He is not looking at what you can do. What He is looking at is what you can be. What you can be. And that's a son and a daughter. We don't have to try to please God. You know, trying to please God as believers is like my son when he was five years old trying to please me to say that he's able to handle a spoon and a knife it's good. I appreciate him for that. But that doesn't make him my son anymore. He is already my son. I don't have to be pleased with him by his knife tricks or the folk tricks. As Christians sitting here, remember this one thing. God is already pleased with you. God is already pleased with you. You're already a son. You're already a daughter. You don't have to try to please God. You need to learn to live in the fullness of the riches of God. Just enjoying the blessing of God. Don't be bothered about the small religious activities and forget the greater matters of what God is saying. Let us not major on minor things. Leave the minor things as minor. Let's major on the major things. The love of God, our love for God, our kingdom purpose. What what are we living for? Is it for the salary? Is it for the career? Is it for our children? Are we living for the kingdom? Let's not minor on major thing. Finally, Matthew chapter 23, verse 25, 27, and 28. O to you, teachers of the law, Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, and inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. O to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. It keeps repeating in all the seven woes, okay, hypocrites. You are Like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside you're full of bones of dead and everything unclean. Verse 28. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. You know, Christianity sometimes, God saved us by His grace. We are not saved by His works, but sometimes it can drift slowly into becoming dependent on works we got to constantly remember ourselves that we come back to the point of grace. But coming back to this point, I call this as plaster saints. What is a plaster saints? It doesn't matter what it is on the inside. You plaster it up well and cover it well. On the outside, it looks beautiful. You use the right language. When you pick the phone, you say, praise the Lord. When people pick the phone and say, praise the Lord, I ask them for what? Tell me for what? They say amen and hallelujah for no reason. Why? Because it makes them feel good that they are being spiritual in the outside. But how about right inside? Are you praising the Lord inside? How's your character? What God is interested in, is in what comes out of us as a character. That's a gift that we bring to God. The Christ-likeness that we can bring. It's not the Pharisee-likeness, but it's the Christ-likeness that we can bring to our God. You know, the word hypocrite means an actor. Actually, if you go to Greece and then you tell, where is the hypocrite? They will lead you to a theater. That's where the hypocrite's actors were. Okay, that's where they are. That's where the word comes from. What do these hypocrites do or the actors do? They, they begin to be somebody whom they really are not. If you and me are trying to be somebody... You've seen some people, they talk to an American, their accent changes to American. Everything changes. They talk ill about Bangalore suddenly. They talk about ill about India suddenly. Everything changes. You know, what God is bothered about is what is inside of us. Our character. You know, I did one exercise long back, and I think I should do it again. I took the qualities of the fruit of the Spirit on a weekly basis, one quality, and I evaluated myself to check, how kind am I? How patient am I? Oh, that was a startling revelation to know. I thought I was patient, but that was a startling revelation. Let's build our character more than anything else. Let's build our character. In conclusion, I just want to say this. You know, the tallest building in the world is Burj Khalifa in Dubai, okay? It's Almost half a mile tall, 2,700 feet uh, tall. And the highest pool in the world is on the 76th floor of this building. The highest viewpoint of the world is on the 124th floor of this building. It's really a tall building. It's like the pinnacle of uh, Dubai. One of the things that people don't miss seeing when they go. But when when people admire the building, we also need to know what went into building this you know when they went into building this they had dug up the foundation contained 58900 cubic yards of concrete weighing more than 110000 tons of foundation material you know this building cannot stand if the foundations are bad and what god is telling is we got to get back to our foundation we can't just be on the external religious trying to look at this tall building we need to have the core foundation ready. And that's our walk with the Lord. That's our relationship with God. That's our character that God wants to mold inside of each one of us. And I want to leave this thought with you to tell you that Jesus is a merciful God. Though he saw these Pharisees, he told them what to you, Pharisees. The early church, if you read the book of Acts, up to chapter 9, consisted only of Pharisees and Jews and Herodians, and it was a Jewish church mainly. And you will read in Acts chapter 6, verse 7, where it says that many of the priests came to know the Lord. Our God is a merciful God. He touched them. Paul was a Pharisee. He calls himself, I'm the Pharisee of Pharisees. But yet, God transformed his life to become one of the greatest evangelists for the kingdom of God nicodemus was a pharisee a secret believer joseph of Arimathea was a pharisee and there were hundreds and thousands of others whom the lord dealt with in love and care no matter out of nine characteristics how much of pharisee is within you one thing we got to repent and turn back but the other thing is to remind ourselves that god is still a merciful god god is still a gracious god god is still a compassionate god and he wants to work right inside of us amen Thank you for listening to this message. To know more about us, please visit www.adonai-ministries.com.